0: I don't know about you, but when you're on the freeway and suddenly there is an accident and there have been a few that have happened in front of me, you have to slow down to see what's going on, to see if the people are okay. And yet, even if you're passing it, there's just this temptation to stop and look at the wreck, to look at how messed up stuff is, And it's just a weird sensation. But I think the worst thing is when you're stuck in traffic and you're driving along and it's horrible and you know there was an accident, but by the time you're out of the traffic, the the accident's been cleaned up and gone. You're like, man, all that waiting and I don't get to see the wreck, right? Humans and wrecks are weird things. Like we love staring at the wrecks. In fact, when you think about it, the news is just human wreckage everywhere, all the time. What we're focused on too often is the wreck in the human world. And so as they say, if it bleeds it leads. That kind of idea. And I don't know what that is about us except for the fact that maybe there's something inside of us that is constantly haunting us, constantly reminding us that we have stepped into a difficult place. We've entered into this second movement called the ruin. And this second movement of ruin is something that honestly many of us we stare at when it comes up. It's like mystifies us. But it's something that we shouldn't be surprised about. In fact, as we get into this series, what we've been talking about is this idea of not focusing in on the moment that you're at in your family, but to look at the four movements of God's story, to evaluate yourself through the creation, the ruin, into the, uh, the redemption, and into what we're becoming in the promises of God. And as we examine these things, what we're getting an opportunity to do is to step back from our family, step back from these moments, and get an idea of what God's purpose and intention is for us being here, now, in this place, as we live. But buckle seatbelts. This is going to be a difficult one. This is probably the worst movement of the four movements and the most depressing of the four movements. And so I'm warning you ahead of time just so you'll join with me. Don't turn it off because I believe it'll be far worth it if you'll stick this out because I'm not calling you simply to look at this moment, but instead to see it in its whole picture. In the meantime, we need to focus in on the wreck of the ruin And what my point for you today is, is you leave this message. You walk away and turn this off. I want you to expect the wreck in the ruin. I want you to expect the wreck in the ruin. I want you to expect the wreck, okay, in this ruin. We've got to get this into our heads that this is a mess that we live in, and it's time to take a peek. See, God's a great parent. He tells us exactly what to expect. He tells us, hey, don't be surprised at the wreck in your life. Don't be surprised at the mess around us because it is here. And he's not going to blow a smoke and tell us, hey, we should be all lollygaggy, ha 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 blessed. And You know, that's not the Christianity that I know. That's not the God of the Bible I see. If you've got a pastor or somebody telling you in your life that's supposed to be blessings and roses and unicorns and, and rainbows, that ain't Christianity because the second movement is the movement... ruin, It's the time to expect the wreck in the ruin. And we see this in Genesis chapter 3, yep, verses 1 through 13. Very common story. We tell it a lot around here, but it's critical because it's trying to wake us up or remind us of the reality of our world. And in this well-known story, Adam and Eve are going to disobey God by eating this forbidden fruit. And as you get your Bible open, what we see is that this is the story of our world's ruin. It's the story of how everything's gotten messed up and humanity's sin. And Jesus actually indicated this was true history, and to be quite honest, whether you think it's a mythology or what, it gets to the core of human hearts. And I go with Jesus, because he's the one who rose from the dead, and you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good for me, that kind of seals the deal. But... What I want you to see is just how this becomes a mess. And so it starts off where everything's perfect in the garden. Adam and Eve have been made. In fact, it ends with this idea of they were both naked and unashamed. They weren't ashamed of anything. They were able to walk with each other. And yet then the serpent, who we know later as Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst or the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent, he said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that it was able to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. The eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And what's interesting about this is suddenly they're hiding from each other, right? They were naked, they were unashamed, they were unafraid. Now, boom, hide. Let's and let's loincloths together. In fact, this hiding is from each other. It will be from God and even from ourselves. There's a sense that we become ashamed. We become hidden. We pull away. And in fact, I believe this is the primary reason why we've grown to not expect the wreck in the ruin. We've come to believe that the ruin and the wreck isn't here. Because if we admitted it, we would have to stop hiding. We'd have to come out and admit our sins. We would have to come out and see that the world is broken. We'd have to face the bald reality of a difficult world. And man, that's not easy. It's better to make believe. It's better to hide and pretend like it isn't there but i'm not going to let us do that we're going to evaluate our families by the full four movements we're going to be a four movement family then you can't focus in on the wreck that's happening in your life right now because you should have expected the wreck it's here in the ruin in fact in the ruin let's get a little bit more granular expect a wrecked relationship with god let's just start there in fact, let's pick up to see how that happens. Beginning in verse 8, it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Hey, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? And this is interesting because now we have the scenario suddenly where humanity is hiding from God. Notice again, we hear the sound of him walking. And so suddenly we're ready to hide. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And then he says, where are you? He says, I hid myself. Hiding is a critical function of our lives. And we all hide from God. Let put it this way. I didn't want authorities over my life. Back before I was a Christian in high school, I had a short time period where I was smoking pot, and quickly we we learned how to hide our pot smoking. It was called visine. As long as we were able to put in our eyes and the bloodshot would go away, the parents didn't know. At least that's what we told ourselves. And yet, there's the thing. There's there's no visine with God. There's no way to hide the sin. There's no way to really get away. God simply says, hey, where are you? We, We show up. God is there. Now, Man, we most, most of us do not want a God to judge all of us because of our own sin. Most people don't want to believe in a God who's going to judge humanity. Talk to your friends. They may believe in God, but God's not going to judge them. God's not going to judge them. Well, God's a God of love, right? That's a Bible idea, but the God of justice connects with the Bible idea. Here's the thing. It's just the default position to run from God. It is the default position of your family. It is the default position of ourselves to run from God. Paul will quote some Psalms later in the book of Romans, and he says, that is as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. What we see here is the, is the desire for us to run from God. We're not seeking out God. We don't want to get to know the real God, because that God comes with judgment. That God comes to expose our sin. That God comes to show us off naked before him. And, well, wait a minute, I don't want to be that way and this is the thing when this is our default position you should expect the wreck of the ruin you should expect the wreck and you should expect that a wrecked relationship with God is the default of you of your spouse of your family of your in-laws of everyone around you when one of your loved ones rejects God doesn't receive Christ when a child grows up to say I don't need Jesus I don't want this I don't think you should be as surprised as often we feel it hurts don't get me wrong I'm not saying it's not difficult what I am saying is that man I have to sit down and think through and face the fact that my children were born little pagans not born Christians they were born sinners not born Saints they were born as those who would reject God by nature not those who would run to God by nature you're thinking, my, my kids love God. They, they love me. Yeah, but give them the time. Give them the chance. And what will happen is that you'll begin to see a child will push God away. They'll check it themselves. And many will walk away. And I'm telling you this because when and if it happens, and I hope it does not, but when and if it happens, the first thing parents do is they look back at themselves and they blame themselves. What could we have done differently? We taught them everything we knew to do. We, we did all these things. Look, some of the greatest fathers in history... Had children that walked away. I'll give you one. His name was God, right? We're in Genesis right now. God's the perfect father. God's given them everything and his children sin against him. They hide from him. It's the default position. And it's not your fault. Now we can contribute and do things like that, but the default position is already we're rejecting him. And our past rejection of God, which was there, is going to flow into that point. And you may feel this way about your children. You may feel this way about your spouse, like you can't you can't get your spouse to win. You you can't get them to come to church. In fact, there's stories in premarital counseling and various counselings that um, actually it's in counseling that this one family basically had come in and her, the wife was just lamenting, "I can't get my husband to come to church. I go to all these Bible studies, I go to all this stuff." And he's and, and the counselor's just like, "Okay, well, where did uh, where'd you guys meet? Oh, we met in a bar when we were younger, and I did all this stuff." And and he's like, "Well." This looks like you grew up and he's still where he's at. The only changing has been you. Don't expect him to change. He's what he's always been. And that's the case. I don't want you to beat yourself up because somebody else is still in default. And you know, we we can pray. We can point, we can do these things, we'll get into this next week, but the bottom line is expect the wreck, expect someone to want to reject God, expect them to push God away, expect them to want other gods. See, the ruin preps us, it preps us to follow other gods. You should expect that they're going to want to follow other gods. See, the ruin preps us to follow other gods. The ruin preps us for idolatry. Paul and the Jewish people thought the root problem of all humanity was this idea of idolatry. Notice how he says it in Romans. He says, claiming to be wise, speaking of humanity, they became fools. And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. That is right there idolatry. Therefore, God gave them up to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul right away says, here's the issue, guys. We follow other gods. We love idols. We want to go after them. We're made to worship, and so we can't not worship, so we're going to worship something. And if you have someone in your family, they're going to worship something. Often, they'll worship themselves in our culture. We thought selfishness was the root of sin. It's not. Selfishness is just making yourself God. You're going to serve a God. You're going to serve something. And so don't be surprised that your family is tilted toward ideas opposed from the Bible. We like self-help. We want to make it work ourselves. We don't want to be saved, man. We want to make our money. We like fame. We like power. We want these gods in our life. And they're just the same old gods. We just don't use those terms. Zeus is the god of power. Nike, the god of victory. You've got Aphrodite, the god of family or the god of sex. You've got the idea of Bacchus, who is the god of you know, complete celebration and enjoyment. We have all these issues. And what we have are the gods run amok in our world again. They're just the same ones. They're just out there for, to entertain and make us long for these things. And so don't be surprised, but instead discover, expect the gods, discover what they are. Start examining, well, what is it that we love? And what is it that we're after if it's not God? And here's how you'll know. When you poke at it, people get angry. Bottom line. When you start picking at somebody's God, the one that they love, they worship, man, they are Lit. They get angry. They get upset. You touch their pot. You deal with their sin and their alcohol. You want to talk about their pornography. You want to deal with their gossip and lying. You, they, everybody, everybody else's fault. You will fall into victims immediately, right? Or it is immediate. Like, oh, I'm a free person. You can't tell me what to do. I need to be unencumbered. Welcome to meeting their God. And We all have them. Know yourself and know your family. Know your in-laws. Know your uncles and aunts. Know that in your church family, all these places, there are other gods vying for our hearts. And let's expect the wreck and the ruin. In fact, these gods lead somewhere, and we shouldn't be shocked where they lead. They go on, because Paul ends the whole section, starting in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he says, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what, they, what ought not to be done. And They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy and murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They're they're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, fatherless, heartless, ruthless. I I think he got it all. We're sinners. And in the ruin, we need to expect sin. A part of the wreck is the fact that we sin. A part of the wreck is that sin is here with us. It's in our lives. And you, your spouse, your kids will sin badly. And you can't stop it. Welcome to the ruin. You need to expect the sin. You cannot stop it. Paul will say in chapter 5, again, just kind of like he's reiterating, guys, expect the sin, expect the wreck. Just as sin came into the world through one man, we saw that with Adam and Eve, and death through sin so death spread to all men because all what say it sinned who sinned all sinned not some not just you as parents not your children not not just you, you know you didn't and your parents did no all sinned. everybody you know is a sinner you married a sinner your children are sinners your parents are sinners your aunt and uncles are sinners and some of you're like amen Others of you're like, oh yeah, but they're only little sins, and they're... no, no, you can't, you can't deal with sin. You got to expect sin; it's there, and you can't stop it. I have met so many parents who think that if I just keep my kids busy, then they won't have time to really get in major trouble. You know, some of those kids gotten so busy they've become like world class athletes, and they never get in trouble, right? I mean, come on. In fact, most of the time I've met kids who got way deep into the band or way deep into the sports or way deep have found the greatest trouble in the groups that they ran with. You can't keep kids busy enough to keep them out of sin. You can't keep kids busy enough to keep them away from trouble. You can't keep your spouse locked down enough, nagged enough, or commanded enough to keep them from causing problems and sinning in their own lives. You're married to a sinner and we have to expect that they're going to sin. In fact, if you try to keep your kids too safe or too legalized and too locked down, guess what's gonna happen? They ultimate rebel and reject. They run because they want to sin. They wanna follow their gods and their idols. They wanna be after the things that they love, not after the gods that we love. That's the default position. Expect sin, expect it, it's happening, it's going to happen, it will continue to happen. And I know that's frightening and painful, It's one of the reasons why I looked at my kids and always thought, I've got four little pagans in my house. Praise God, a couple of them received Christ. But guess what? It doesn't mean they're done with sin. And we'll get into that more next week. But the bottom line is, I don't get surprised when my children sin. We're not surprised as pastors when people come in to confess what's gone on in their lives. Not surprised. seen a lot. And people sin. In fact, all has sinned. And you need to be ready for that. You need to be understanding that because otherwise you're going to think Christianity and religion is the magic pill that'll keep you from sin, that'll keep you from the wreck and the ruin of sin. And the bottom line is Christianity is not here to keep you from sin. Christianity is here to set you free from sin. But it's not about rules and regulations. It's not about do's and don'ts. It's about what's been done. Again, we'll get to that next week and so you need to understand you can't pick up the ten commandments you can't follow all the laws you can't look at this as the law book that's going to keep you safe and give you money and and wealth and health and all nope sin is here the ruin is here all four movements creation ruin redemption becoming that is what we have to keep our focus on now the best thing for you to do though is to learn your family's sins what are your family's basic sins see our lives are made in the image of god talked about this last week all the attributes of god are flowing through you in a minimum form in the sense that they're coming out and we can see those strengths and those weaknesses in our children ourselves and i hope you were able to do some of that work it's incredible and exciting when you get there but here's the thing, when you find yourself in ruin, it's like walking up to a funhouse mirror. You ever been to seen one of those? You stand there and it's all warped. So you look like you're all tall and with weird gangly arms or you're all short and dumpy and funky looking. You know, it, it's funny and we love them. It would be horrible if those were the kind of mirrors we had every day. Because if you walked around really believing that's what you look like, you would, you would begin to live wrongly. No matter how much you exercise, how hard you work, you always look the same shape because that's how the mirror makes you look. And the bottom line is that's what's wrong with sin. We've taken God's attributes and we've twisted them after our idols. We've twisted them after other things. We've turned them into what we want them to be for ourselves. I take my imagination, and which is really powerful, and I could write great stories and put together illustrations, and I've twisted it to figure out how to problem solve to get to the sins I want or to create evil in my mind, or to become lazy and fantasize. You know, some of you have a great intelligence, you've twisted it to pride instead of to caring and serving. Some of you are are present and you've used it to manipulate instead of to be able to care. There's all these aspects that these attributes that we have are twisted and broken and they go in the wrong direction. In fact, you know this, any of you guys who are married, you understand this. The very thing you loved about your spouse when you started dating is the thing that drives you nuts, right? I mean, when we think about it, on one side, they're organized, and she's smart, and she has just got it down. And on the other side, she is controlling, and she is way too stressed out, and she just... It's the same attributes. The same things you love about someone is the same things you hate about them. It's the thing that drives you crazy because the ruin wrecks even these attributes that turns it into sin and twists it in a direction and so when you begin to look at your family i think it's smart to look at your children to look at your parents to look at yourself and to see the sins how are these positive strong attributes been twisted towards their idols how are they being misused? How could they be misused so that you're not surprised and in the ruin you expect sin? And you can look into your past and see how sin comes out because, look, you are born as an mixture of your parents. And that's hard for some of you who may not know your parents or who may only know one parent, but the bottom line is God formed us so that our souls are made from the admixture of the souls of our parents, which means their sinful proclivities, their bins, become part of ours. It's why as you get older, sometimes many of us are like, man, I am becoming my dad. It's like, or I'm becoming my mom. That's like the most frightening reality for some of us. But you can't escape it. The sins of your parents are visited to the children. They come down to us. They're not shoved on us by God. They come through our souls. Your children, if you have children, will struggle with your sins, a mixture of your, your, both your family's sins. And the more you know the story of your family, the more you understand the sins, you'll know what to expect and you'll be ready because, hey, we need to expect the wreck and the ruin. Part of that is to expect sin, but we also need to expect the wrecked relationships with others. You see... It just doesn't cause us to sin. It just doesn't cause us to have a broken relationship with God. It creates a broken relationship with other people. I mean, Adam and Eve saw this immediately, right? And both their eyes were opened. They knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves cloths. They hid from each other. They could no longer be naked and unashamed. They were naked and ashamed. And then they were naked and afraid, which Never mind. And so they hide themselves and they're running away and they're not going to be near even each other. And then they blame each other. Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten the tree, which I commanded you not to eat? God asks Adam and the man says, well, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate right now. He's blaming. Now he's pointing fingers. That's not good for the marriage. That's not good for the relationship. Broken relationship with God, broken relationship with each other. It's going to be there And you need to expect it ruin brings difficulty on relationships it makes relationships hard and so you should see in your marriage there's going to be conflict don't get married thinking it's going to be perfect and if we start fighting then it's over no you should have expected it two sinners got married what do you think is going to happen you both have different idols you don't think that you're going to go in different directions unless you both are fixated on christ constantly that's the only way to move forward but generally I've seen it to where most of the time when the woman has a child, the child becomes the centerpiece, and the husband, work becomes the centerpiece, and boom, you're misaligned. You're going to grow in different directions. You're going to sin against each other to defend your idols, and it's going to be a wreck. And you've got to work together to bring yourself towards Christ, as we'll see next week. But the bottom line is you need to expect the wreck. You need to expect ruin within this relationship because it's going to happen. You married a sinner. Surprise! Right? Not a surprise. You're going to need to realize your kids are sinners, and you're going to realize that your kids are going to push back. They're going to reject. It's going to be a hard relationship. It takes work. Stop thinking this is easy. Just because you're a Christian, just because you're in a Christian home, just because you've got a church around you, it can help. Trust me, it will help, but you need to expect the wreck. It is so much better to know God has this intention, and yet we messed it up. We messed it up. That means, guys, there's going to be wreck at church. We can't run around and go like, "Perfect unity will happen at our church." Perfect unity will not happen at the church. We are sinners, and we are working in Christ, and Christ brings unity. But guess what? There's going to be conflict. There's going to be tension. We need to expect the wreck. Expect your and expect the, this wreck is going to make your relationships fake in our uber-authentic authentic reality in which we all want to express ourselves so authentically. That's that's what we're hearing. It's a bunch of sham. I, it's a fake. What we're seeing is just a bunch of lying. I mean, oh, yeah, it's the most beautiful picture I've ever seen. It'll be my favorite for the rest of my life. I've read stuff like this online. That's a lie. That's called blowing smoke. Like, guys, we lie to each other all the time. How you doing? Good. And your life is falling apart because you don't want to show off the wreck. You don't want to expose the problem. I'm not saying you should run around exposing the wreck to everybody, but there should be somebody like your small group. There should be somebody like a discipleship group that knows your wreck, that knows your sin, that knows your mess. Because guess what? Otherwise, we're just lying to each other. We're just trying to hide the wreck that we all expect is there now because we just learned we need to expect the wreck. Right? We expect the wreck and the ruin. Expect the wreck of relationships. Expect the people are going to try to hide by lying to you, by buttering you up. And don't be shocked then when they talk badly about you behind your back. Because guess what? Wrecked relationships is part of the game. People are going to manipulate and use you at work and at church and all kinds of places. And if we expect it, what it brings to us is not something that we should be shocked about. Hey, when that person cuts you off on the freeway, yeah, you probably should expect it that one. Hey, when they start talking badly about you, don't be like, oh, no, you'd expected it. You've already thought through how you're going to deal with it. You've already begun to know that, hey, this can happen. And I'm ready to forgive. I'm ready to work through. I'm ready to confront. I'm ready to act. Wherever you're at, you're ready because you've expected the wreck. You've expected the wreck of the relationship with, with God. You've expected the wreck of relationship with each other. you expected sin. Guys, we've got this expectation, and now we're prepared to face it. God didn't leave us alone. And so the last one then is clear. In the ruin, we need to expect the wrecked lives because this is the hardest one that we don't want to believe. This is the hardest one we want to be told by our pastors isn't true. Don't tell me my life is going to be wrecked. Look, everyone's life is going to be wrecked at some level, and you need to expect the wreck. In life look the curse comes shortly after God turns the serpent curses the serpent turns to Eve and says this I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing in pain you shall bring forth children your desire shall be contrary to your husband but he shall rule over you and here's the thing the in the in the wreck in the wreck of the ruin you need to expect that pain is going to destroy the joys of life There's going to be pain where where the woman was supposed to be enjoying her children, where the woman was supposed to be enjoying that she was going to be a mom, where the woman was supposed to enjoy that she was going to be married and have a husband. It became pain. Contrary, fighting, childbirth brought death upon death upon death through women throughout the centuries. Pain. 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 We need to expect pain because it it will rob the joy of your life and we know it's coming. We know that the joy is never going to be as high and if we expect the highest joys on this earth, we expect to have heaven on this earth and pain comes along and steals it, it's going to make it even worse. No, you need to expect age brings pain you need to expect life brings pain sin brings pain pain is part of reality and we live in a very comfortable society and just a little bit of pain that's happened in the last year man it has caused some dramatic problems for everyone who wasn't expecting the wreck expect the wreck because with pain, we'll reduce the joy. In fact, the wreck continues to destroy even the productivity in life. It goes on, Adam, he says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you not to eat, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, he says. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. There's the pain again. In pain, guys, pain. Yeah, there's pain in our toil, there's pain in our work, Don't be looking for your your joys and your meaning from your job. You're only gonna find yourself frustrated. You're gonna find yourself angry. I think half of what's happening in our workplaces in this fight to make life a utopia, whether it's battling our workplaces in in what we think our, our bosses should stand on in politics or whatnot, is because somewhere in there, we know there's this pain and we didn't expect work to be so hard. Guys, expect the wreck of pain. It's not easy. It's toil. It's hard work. There's pain you're going to eat all the days of your life, all of them, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. And that means that the wreck has destroyed the productivity. It's never going to be as good. And we strive for that perfection. We strive and we strive and we fail and we fail. And man, I just never live up to my potential. Did you hear it? What does our culture tell you? Man, you got to live up to your potential. How many people are holding off marriage? How many people are holding off children? Maybe you are because you got to go for your potential. No, you're never going to get it. Expect. You're not going to reach your potential. There's going to be barriers to your potential. And that's part of the wreck. The wreck ruined our potential. It may be there. And you may see all that intention. The wreck ruins the potential. And when that potential is going to be met and you're not ready for it, you're going to be depressed. The highest rates of suicide are found amongst men who retire because they look back over their life and they think, I didn't accomplish anything. What did you expect in the wreck? I'm not saying we can't have dreams. We already talked about that last week. Yes, there are dreams and we'll get to that more next week, but we got to expect we're not going to reach our potential in a world that tells you you are nothing unless you reach your potential, reach your potential, reach for the sky. They're lying to you. It's impossible. Expect the wreck or you're not going to be able to deal with life. God is this honest with us, this straightforward to us. And he's telling us, listen, expect the wreck. And finally, expect that the death is going to destroy the dreams. He says, you're going to, by the sweat of your face, you're going to eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken. You are dust. And to dust, you shall return. Guys, the worst part about this is that death cuts it short cuts the dreams short. I don't care if you're 90, I don't care if you're 80, I don't care if you're 70, the death is going to cut short the dreams that you had. It's gonna cut short the dreams of that marriage. It's gonna cut short the dreams of those children. Unless we are prepared to realize, yes, even our children can die, it's gonna wreck you. Have you sat down and thought through what you will do if a child dies in your life? Have you sat down and thought through what, to, what will happen when your spouse dies? Have you thought through how you're going to respond when your parents are gone? Have you stopped to think through that death is at the door constantly One accident away, one issue away, one horrible incident away, one plane crash away, you name it, it's there. Some of you know it and you got a phobia. You expect it way too much. We'll get into that next week. But look, some of us are walking around trying to ignore it. Death is going to cut short the dreams. Expect death. Don't put your dreams in the wrong place. And trust that God has prepped us. Now, you're like, Greg, this is the most depressing thing I've ever heard. Uh Uh-huh. Welcome to the ruin. And in the ruin, we got to expect the wreck. But here's what I want to tell you. I want you to expect the wreck because I don't want you to stay there. It's because if people stay in the wreck thinking that these other gods can get you out, thinking that you can figure a way out by yourself, thinking that somehow you can relate or manipulate or do something, you're going to find out that's not the case. Because the ultimate ruin, the ultimate wreck is around the corner and it's called hell. And hell is the horrible reality of this wreck writ large without any redemption, as we'll talk about next week. We don't want anybody to face that wreck. We want everybody to hear about this wreck right now and deal with it now, so we need to expect the wreck so that we can deal with the wreck. Because if you don't see the wreck and understand the wreck, we can't point to the wreck and fix it through Christ and his gospel. Now, the bottom line is as depressing as all this is, yes, you need to expect the wreck of the ruin, But don't stare at it. (laughs) Say, what? We just spent a whole day staring at it. Right. Here's what I mean. Don't evaluate your whole life through the wreck. That's only one movement. Yes, some of you are acutely aware of the wreck. You see it clearly. Others of you, you're like, I don't want to talk about this. No, you need to focus. Expect the wreck. Look at it. Know it's coming. Know it's here. See it. But don't stare at it. When it comes, take in all four movements. Creation. Ruin, redemption, and, and becoming. When we get these four together, then you will begin to see oh, I can evaluate beyond the, mo- the moment, and I can see the four movements. And you'll become a four movement family. You'll become a four movement person. And what you're able to, yes, expect the wreck. Ah, but that's not all. But in the meantime, this week, what I want to challenge you to do is, is look at the wreck, look at it. Don't stare at it. Don't fixate on it. But look at the wreck. What are your sins? What are your family sins? What are the idols? What are the things in your life that is pulling you from God? And unless you're ready to look at those things, they're ready to take you over. And so this week, I challenge you. Examine the wreck. I believe it will prepare us to totally get excited about the redemption. Let me pray. Father, I just want to lift up all of these people who are watching this video and I ask that you would help them as they examine the wreck. Would you give them the knowledge about their sin and the mess, so that they can be prepared, that you can begin to show them how you're going to use it in redemption. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.